Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you this evening? Well, we are complaining about how hot we are. And then we were also saying, yeah, yeah, like we have the right to complain about it being hot. You know, oh, it gets a little hot. All right, granted it's 150% humidity. (laughs) But we do. We we are used to the cool, cool cat skills. I got a wonderful letter this week. It says, Dear Susan, I found my anger. I found it in the swirl of my hips and the weave of my arms. It was resting there in my pelvis, 
right with my life force. I remember you telling me underneath all your pain there is anger. I didn't believe you. I didn't understand you at the time, but oh, oh, now I do. Yes, underneath all my bleep pain and sadness is my my anger. It is volcanic. It is red. It is pulsing, and it is endless. I yell at people now. It's glorious. I raise my voice when I'm upset. I call them out, and it's amazing because at the end, I'm returned to love. Love, the circumstance ends. It truly ends. I don't stash it away and ruminate on it. Susan, I want you to know I'm alive. I am alive and I want to live. I don't want to die anymore. I feel things now. I feel them. And the feelings are so big. And, 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 and so many, 30 years worth, really, really rocketing through me, through my body. And every, every time I acknowledge and say one of those unsaid things, I, I come home to myself. And I want, I want to be here and I want to be alive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for calling me out over and over again. It hurt. And it made me angry. And it gave me back my bleep. Life. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I love that she says. I love that she says coming home to herself because coming I mean home to us. That's what it's about. That's really you know, the medicine. Yeah. I love the herbs. I love green blessings. I really love herbs as people's medicine. But for me, the herbal medicine is just a front. Mhm. It's just the way to encourage people to take a step nearer to their power and their life. Yeah, yeah. I just started writing about coming home to myself actually yesterday, so I find that so interesting that she put that in there. And I mean, just all the things that I do to show up for for myself. And yeah, so. Hmm. Oh, I'm so excited that you're writing about that, Rebecca. What an excellent thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and I think also, yeah, just uh, allowing ourselves to be angry is so it's really important. And I, I couldn't even consciously get angry. Like um, I remember like grieving so much after my father died, and for years and years, just like having this grief. But then it was I didn't allow myself to get angry, and it was in my dream where it really came out, where I was so mad at him for for leaving and um, leaving me with all of this stuff family trauma and stuff to take care of and but um yeah yeah it's like that anger really needs to be released and yeah it's it's good to do it in the moment instead of having years and years of it built up for sure (laughs) there's not a lot of places where where that can be done where that's safe where it's safe exactly where it's safe and, and where it's not just accepted but sought Mhm. And um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us as women. I think about the the different kinds of anger that we have as women and, and what those different kinds of anger have gotten us. I think about the kind of anger I would have had if all the money that I earned belonged to whatever man was in charge of me. 
Mm-hmm. And we're not talking some ancient thing. We're talking a hundred years ago in this country. And we're talking right now in other places in the world. Where women have no economic rights. And we had economic rights because women got angry. And they got us the vote and they got us economic rights. And I'm so thankful for all of those legions of angry women whose footsteps I follow in. Who have trod on toes and not been nice and done the wrong thing because women are being erased. Women, women, not just having their toes trod on, they're having their body parts ripped out. Yeah, it's one of the most controversial, like, uh, topics on the Internet right now, it seems like, is, like, it just is stirring up so much of the, the woman erasure. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's important for us to honor the women who came before and what they did. Remember, the women who got us the vote, some of them did hunger strikes in prison. Yeah. And then I see being brought up a lot now, too, is like they didn't say, hey, give women the vote, and everybody said yes. Mm -hmm. And what were you going to say? Oh, just like I just keep seeing um, also a lot of people bringing up that like women of color, like saying, you know, like that the feminists like chose like feminism and bringing women up before they brought up women of color. So that's like a huge topic right now as well as they like say that if they know. want to. But I was there. I was there. Yeah. I was there riding in the back of the bus in Dallas when I was eight years old. I was there. I was there marching. And then, you know what I was told as a white girl? I was told black is beautiful. Get the bleep away. Hmm. And I understood that. And I have no resentment at all until I start hearing this line. Yeah, it's and just, the, it and seems the like it's the matter all is over. That she wasn't there. Whoever's mm-hmm. saying that, she wasn't there. And so she doesn't know. She doesn't know how many white women were there walking alongside throughout the whole South. Mm-hmm. Working for equality. And when we were told we weren't needed, yeah, we turned around and paid attention to ourselves. We sure did. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion going on, and I definitely uh, have been wa- watching it and seeing, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's it's hard yeah. to listen to. But none of that was ever exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Seems like there's women's, a lot of separating going on. Women's spirituality so. and feminism in America has never been exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I I felt too. But I'm like I'm also white, so it's like hard for me to. I maybe I don't understand where they're coming, you know, where they're coming from. So, yeah. You don't have to understand where they're coming from. They are participating in the discussion and giving you their perspective, 
you're trying to come from their perspective is kind of baloney. The only perspective you can truly have is yours. Mm-hmm. And we enrich the discussion when we come from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. There seems yeah. to be a kind of current belief that we're here to kind of be sensitive to each other and not hurt pe- other people. And I have to say that um, I have on my wall Virginia Satir's Bill of Rights. I do not have to feel guilty because someone else does not like what I do, say, think, or feel. It is okay for me to feel anger and to express it in responsible ways. I do not have to assume full responsibility for making decisions, particularly when others share the responsibility for that decision. I have the right to say, I don't get it without feeling stupid or guilty. I have the right to say, I don't know. I have the right to say no without feeling guilty. I do not have to apologize or give a reason when I say no. I have the right to ask others to do things for me. I have the right to refuse requests which others make of me. I have the right to tell others when I think they are manipulating, conning, or treating me unfairly. I have the right to refuse additional responsibility without guilt. I have the right to tell others when their behavior annoys me. I do not have to compromise my personal integrity ever. I have the right to make mistakes so long as I'm responsible for them. I have the right to be wrong. I do not have to be liked, admired, or respected by everyone for everything I say or do. Virginia Satir. The Bill of Rights. Uh. How different would our lives be if we followed that Bill of Rights and said, I hear you. You are annoyed at something I have said or done. And let it at, let, left it at that. No guilt, no blame, no shame, no excuses. Mm-hmm. We don't have to figure out how to be in such a way that we are non-offensive to anyone because I can tell you exactly how to be non-offensive to anyone and that is do nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I believe that, yeah. If you do anything (laughs) at all, you are going to be offensive. Especially as a woman. So one of the things I say is get used to it. Used to it. Yeah. Remember uh, that <laughs> yeah. I, one of my um, sayings for the apprentices is it's n- not high school and it's not a popularity contest. It's your life. If yeah. you are happy with it and you are doing what you want to do in your life with harm to none, then let the chips fall where they may. 
Yeah, it's un it's unfortunate. It seems like in a lot of the circles of women and stuff, though, it's still you know it's very competitive and high schoolish, you know. But uh, <laughs> even in some of the more conscious lady groups that I've been involved in, but it's all good. <laughs> There's a place in this world for powerful women, and I don't think we have enough of them yet. Mm-hmm. So. We're working on it. <laughs> indeed, we are working on it. And meanwhile, I guess we should also work on the problems that are coming up. I did, did want to mention, um, just because it, it seemed like a very lovely contrast to me, that um, one mentor student that I talked to this week, um, was she has progressed through her mentorship to the point where she's not only teaching classes, but her classes are so successful that she has to offer more classes and look for bigger spaces, and people are clamoring for her to uh, offer them correspondence courses. And so it was wonderful to help a mentor a student into figuring out how to do those things and how to do them in such a way that she doesn't wind up inside all the time. So that's always the thing, is that you've got to keep your eye on how much you're going to get to be outside. And then mm-hmm. another mentor student who, again, I've been mentoring for a few years. We were talking about um, her choice of where she's living and her choice of who she's living with, really deeply personal issues. And, um, Mm. yeah, to me it was just like, oh, what a a lovely contrast that I get to interface in so many different ways with women and offer, yeah, offer, you know, that, mm, that solid place that they can come and they can check into over and over again as their life uh, moves them along, someone who's who has a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Eagle Song's <laughs> going to be with us at 9 o'clock tonight. Yay. Yay. Eagle Song, Eagle Song Evans Gardner, or she says she's a three-named woman. And three-named women are marvelous. She's a woman with a passion for culture. And as you probably know, she loves Hawthorne the way I love Nettle. And uh, so we sometimes call ourselves the prickly pear because I I have... I sting, ooh, watch out for stinging nettle. And Hawthorne is not called thorn for nothing. It's got big thorns. And she is the founder of Ravencroft Garden, and she is also the founder of the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. And we're going to be talking about everything under the sun this evening at 9. Be sure you're here for that. And do we have any questions waiting for us? Yeah, we have a lot of callers on the line. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to speak with her. But we have plenty of people with their hands raised. The first All right, caller I'll is coming I can from keep my answers reasonably brief. Okay. The first caller is coming from the 973 area code. Hi Susan and hi Rebecca. Thank you for taking my call and all the wisdom. I'm calling about a gardening question, but it very much relates with the theme of anger and finding voice that you started the blog talk show with. Um, last week uh, when I was at work there were hired landscapers to help trim the hedges. And I was not part of this negotiation. My partner was. But in the end, what happened is that all of my medicinal herbs, my medicinal raised beds um, in seven different garden pots were were weeded without consent. 
And so I lost. It were removed roots and all. Yeah, um, that's yes. I mean, I came home from work and my garden beds were emptied, and that was part of my question: is learning, um, you know, my reparations have been with um, moon blood, with song, with medicine, with just sitting and talking to the soil and making reparations, and just knowing this is cyclical and. Um, you know, but outside of the shamanic realm, I'm, I'm also um, kind of a, in the beginner's mind of, of gardening, and this has never happened, and wondering, uh, you know, so your sincere question, did the roots come up too? I think they did, because I got home and everything, my garden was no more. Um, yeah. And I was not paying enough attention at the very beginning. Could you tell me again who did this? Um, this was a hired landscaper. You hired the landscaper? A family member did. My family did. And it was not to do this act. It was to cut the shrubs because um, the house next to me, the family had passed away. And so we needed to cut back some trees and shrubs. And in doing that act, this unintentional non-requested act of my medicine beds being taken also happened. That was not part of what we had negotiated. In most states, landscapers are licensed and are required to have insurance. I would file a claim. Okay. Well, I I immediately found my voice and called the foreman and um, talked all about the plants that were taken without my consent and um, that I would have to replace them with significant fee. And I was able to do, um, I think, cause I, I immediately was just thinking, okay, I'll just deal with this. I'll just somehow make this work. And it took me a moment to really get angry contract. This was harmful. Um, these, I mean, the, the plants were motherwort, comfrey, calendula, yarrow, ladies' mantle, elder, violet, and these two baby elders. Um, I mean, it was, it was significant uh, in terms of so unanticipated and so unwanted. And I, these were plants that I make a lot of medicine with. So um, I definitely found my voice with the foreman and was you know, tapping in to being very clear and angry about what happened. And now I'm, I'm calling you tonight with the, any tools about, um, you know, replanting at this late in the season um, or just starting again, um, waiting until next spring if you have any so can you, yeah, can you tell me how these plants were removed? Did someone take a digging tool, a hand tool, or a large tool, and dig these so, plants out by their roots? Sure. So I wasn't home when it happened. Um, and the, these were in raised beds. And I don't think, I don't think any large tools were used. Um, I think they were probably hand dug. It wasn't a large plot of raised beds, but for me, it was significant. 
It certainly surpasses my understanding why anyone would dig plants out of a raised bed at all. Well, that was exactly the conversation that I had with the foreman. It was protected land. It wasn't just, I just you know, it's, it's a raised bed. Totally astonishing. However, the comfrey will come back. Okay. You cannot get rid of comfrey. They didn't dig it all Great. out. As a matter of fact, you'll have more comfrey than before. Okay, good. Super. I think you said violets. The violets are very likely to come back. Yeah. Ladies' mantle is also fairly hardy and tends to send out a lot of little roots and will probably come back. If they actually dug out the whole root of the elder, then that elder is gone and will have to be replanted, and this is a great time to replant it. Okay. There were a few other plants that you mentioned. Um, Tulsi, motherwort, calendula, and yarrow. Okay. Tulsi and calendula are annuals. Okay. They would be dead at the end of this year. Okay. So, you know, might as well just reseed them next year. Okay. And yarrow, if the root was actually dug out, can be very, very shallow rooted and maybe gone. It was a white yarrow. Yeah, and my 16-year-old would harvest it with me and make his own medicine for his teenage So was it a big patch of yarrow? It was, yes, it was. And this entire patch of yarrow was dug out. Unfortunately, yes. It makes me angry. Yeah. That's, that someone would um, gratuitously do something like that. Yeah. Um, whether or not, whether or not the yarrow will, will come back, I don't know. It really depends on what, how thorough they were. If they okay. really did their best to dispatch it, they could have. If not, there's probably enough roots in there to regrow. It's a pretty hardy plant. I've been, I've been putting um, the nourishing herbal infusions direct, you know, after I drink it, rather than putting the plant material in my compost, I've been putting it right on the, the plant beds. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and just trying to repair the land with yeah. love. Well, with actually, I I think one of the the most important things to do is to make some signs to put in these beds and say, "Yes, warning, witch's garden." Yes, anyone yes. who touches these plants will die, or some other reasonable, yeah. scary thing. Yes. All right. Um, all interlopers will be T-O-A-D is a cute one that people often use. Nice. nice. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you very much for your wisdom and your time. You are welcome, and thank you for sharing with us. Green blessings. Okay. Green blessings. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 778 area code. Ah. Oh, what's up? Hi, Susan. Hello. Oh, so happy to talk to you. My partner and I have been listening to you for some time, and we've been really enjoying uh, learning from you. Thank you. Um, I am wondering, I heard you speaking with someone in a recent episode about um, the yarrow toothpaste that you made, and I picked a bunch Lee, of what I do is I put a drop of yarrow tincture on my toothbrush. I don't bother to make toothpaste. Right. 
Um, do you use dry or fresh yarrow um, to infuse? Whenever I make a tincture, I am using fresh plant material, unless I absolutely cannot get hold of it. And okay. I'm using 100 proof vodka. Okay, got it. You can um, make tincture with dried or fresh plant material. When it's dried, okay. the tincture will be. Some people say more medicinal. I say more poisonous. Okay. Yarrow contains aromatic esters. These dissipate on drying. It's pretty hard for the fairies to stick around when a plant's been dried, especially if it's been dried and shipped around the world and so on and so forth. It's just hard to keep, like, the the real heart of the plant in there. And I like to have that in my tinctures. Yes. I, I'm, I'm an herbalist because I don't want to be a druggist, so I'm not interested in making my plant remedies as drug-like as possible. I want them to be as nurturing as possible. And so for me, that's the fresh plant and 100-proof vodka. Thank you. You're I welcome. I will do that. Um, I was also wondering about... Um, my partner and I are just underway with um, preserving the harvest from the summer. Indeed. Hooray. Yeah. yeah. We're getting into making um, fermented uh, vegetables. And I, I don't remember hearing you speak about the health benefits of fermented vegetables. And I was wondering if you could um, share with us your thoughts. Basically, we know that the gut flora or the gut biome is responsible for just about everything. Our mood, our health, our ability to absorb and utilize nutrition. There are actually Mm. different gut biomes, the biome in the large intestine which has some flexibility during our early years, say up to age three, and then thereafter settles down into a pattern so unique that you can actually identify a person by the biome of their lower gut. Mm. The biome of the small intestine, the upper gut, is in constant flux and change. Even hour by hour, there are different things in different levels in the small intestine. We are starting to look at what this gut biome is made up of. What, is it the, the same in most people? Is it different? At this point, what we know is hardly anything in most studies, I was horrified to discover, had been made on frozen feces. Talk about dried plants. Mm. What we know about the gut biome we've learned from frozen feces, oh my goodness, how wrong could we be? Mm. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what we do know is that getting more good stuff in our gut is an honest quest. And that the more solid that good stuff is, the more likely it is to hang out for a significant time. So drinking kombucha will have very little effect on what's going on with gut flora. Drinking Mm. kefir will have slightly more effect 
because there's some milk protein in there. But yogurt will have far more effect because it's more solid. Similarly, we can drink sauerkraut juice and it won't do anywhere near as much in our gut as eating the sauerkraut will. None of these things are bad. But you're not going to get from powdered miso served to you in a Japanese restaurant the same thing you'll get from an actual spoonful of miso, real miso from South River or any other good maker in your soup at home. Mm. When people come here and we serve miso, if it's cold enough to have hot infusion, we're drinking nettle, we serve miso with the nettle infusion. And people look at it and they go, this is miso. I've, I've had miso soup for years and years and years, but I've never seen miso. Of course, they didn't really have miso soup, did they? No. No, they powdered miso. So, yes, ferment your vegetables. Great idea. It's a good way to preserve them. I personally find that one of my favorite ways to get ferment is through fermented dairy products. And so remember that cheese is a cultured food. And I store a lot of my vegetables. As a matter of fact, we just ate the last of last year's parsnips. Wow. I use green bags. I have several refrigerators. I keep a check on things. I go through. If things are starting to sprout or to get wet, I take care of them. But I can keep celery ac and parsnips and sometimes carrots easily for six to eight months. Cabbages for two to four months. Are you still there? Yes. Yes, listening. Thank yeah. you very much. You're welcome. Enjoy your food preservation. What a glorious thing to do. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from a private phone number. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, I have a question about, um, I have a very old cat, and my question, well, two questions. I have questions about uh, my sanity, dealing with her, and her comfort, because she's very old, and she's very uncomfortable. How Um, old has she achieved? She's probably about 19. All right, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and she's a And what is making her uncomfortable and unhappy? Um, she, she's just, she's, she, you know, she doesn't really want to sit in my lap very much. She's, she's uncomfortable that way. I think she has some mouth pain. Um, I'm not really sure what's wrong with her. And I, I'm, I'm on the fence about going to the vet because I, I just feel like she's old and uncomfortable and I just need to make her comfortable. What are you doing now that makes her more comfortable? Um, let's see. I'm giving her small meals when I can. I'm giving her herbs and milk. 
Um, she's got a heating pad. Um, she stopped using the litter box, so I'm kind of making that a little easier for her. Um, it's a tremendous amount of work for me, <laughs> and I'm super frustrated. But she's not. She's just not comfortable. She's not. Even though I'm, I'm doing a lot of work for her. She's not really that comfortable. She will sleep, you know, but she sleeps about as much as she ever did. So the, you didn't say anything about her shivering or acting like she was cold, so I'm unclear about what the heating pad is doing. The heating pad is getting her, she just sleeps, she just sleeps and rests more. She wanders around and, and yowls less. When okay. Pad. All right, so the heating pad is helping. Yes. It's all, it's always been a comfort for her, so I always okay I always good. Have that going. Yeah. And you're giving her nourishing herbal infusions with some milk. I'm giving her. I'm actually giving her some drops of tincture in milk, but occasionally I give her. Um, Please don't give cats tinctures. Just drops, like a drop in. Please don't give cats tinctures. Okay. Would you feed a dog chocolate? No. Chocolate milk. That's okay. I don't know. No, it's not. Tinctures are not okay for cats, please. Okay. Are you giving her herbs to relieve a specific symptom? Um, I'm just assuming she's in pain. I did give her some yarrow because her breath was so terrible and she's drooling a lot. So I assume something's going on with her mouth. Mm-hmm. So vets can take care of things like that, right? Right. My concern is if that you the don't want to. And I, I certainly understand, you know, one of the things that you said you wanted to talk about was your sanity. <laughs> one of my students has a diabetic cat, and she actually injects that cat with insulin. Mm-hmm. And she has kept that cat with her for a very, very long time. And I was amazed at how much she was willing to do for the cat. And she said, well, I don't have any living parents and I don't have any children. So I have all that energy that would be put on those family members that I can put to the cat. Right. But that's not everybody's ability or even everybody's choice. Right. And there's nothing wrong with making a different choice. One of the things I often say about using herbs with animals is that you have to be willing to spend the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, echinacea will cure most infections. And the vast majority of people who don't want to take antibiotics are willing to take echinacea as frequently as they need to, even if it's every two or three hours. But not everybody is going to be willing to give or dose an animal with echinacea every two or three hours. That's true. I have a concern about the veterinary medicine, however, is um, I'm not sure they'll have a pain medicine for her that won't make her just utterly dopey or depressed. I didn't say anything about a pain medicine. I guess that's because I'm thinking about a pain medicine for, or even a medicine that, well... What I said is that what you're saying sounds like she's in pain from her teeth and her gums. It sounds like it, yeah. And that vets can have ways of 
removing the tartar and doing dentistry mm-hmm. and anything that any medical professional offers us is simply an offering we don't have to accept it I understand that but my experience has been that I have to risk a tremendous amount of my savings if I'm going to do a whole bunch of um, conventional veterinary medicine I on my absolutely animals. hear you and I yeah. am understanding that and yeah. what I'm saying is very limited you may not want to do something limited. What I'm saying is it's possible to go to a vet and say, I would like some care for my cat's teeth and gums and nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's possible for us to set boundaries and to say what we want. Now, it's also possible for that veterinarian or anybody else to say, I'm not willing to do that under these circumstances. Right. I had a cat once that I needed to get fixed, but I did not want her ovaries removed. I had to canvas the area. I had to call almost a dozen vets before I found one who was willing to take this cat's uterus without her ovaries. And right up to the morning when I gave the cat to her, she looked at me and she said, you're making a big mistake. I wasn't. I knew that cat, and that cat was great with that, and that's what she had asked me for. But every vet wanted to convince me that it was a horrible thing I would do to her. It's not something that I make a uh, regular practice of. This particular cat asks for it. Mm-hmm. They said okay. she'll be in perpetual heat. She'll be crying and miserable her entire life. She wasn't. <laughs> she was never in heat. what she wanted. That's what she wanted. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Sometimes we have to persist, even in the face of what everybody's saying, because what everybody's saying doesn't make it true. So is there a, is it can there, be oh. generally true, but not true for this specific. Or it can be true for everybody else, but not true for you. Or you can say, what I want to do is hospice care for this cat. Right. Oh, that's good. Cat's going to die, and what I want to do is to make her as comfortable as can be while she's dying. That's really helpful. And that's an okay choice, too. Okay. Are there any um, herbs besides the um, infusions, which I have every day, so that'll be easy? One of the one of the herbs that I always think of for any animal that's ailing is comfrey. Okay. Comfrey the comforting. Okay. Yeah. That will be easy. It is. That'll just a slosh from my glass. <laughs> yeah, in, the, in a little slosh from your glass in her milk. I hope she likes it. What's her name? Me too. Her name's Gurley. Gurley. Okay. Green blessings to you and to Gurley. Thank you. Thank you for your help. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 907 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, I have a question, and then I have something I'd like to share that I discovered over the weekend about um, empowered women. Yeah. Um, I'll ask the question, and I think it, it'll be pretty easy for you to answer. How do you dry comfrey? 
I wait until the country is flowering. I cut the entire flowering stalk and hang it upside down in a place with good air circulation where there's no direct light. I let it dry until the comfrey stalk is crisp and dry. That can take several weeks. And then I fold it and put it into a large brown paper bag. When I'm ready to use it, I take scissors, sometimes called bandage scissors or penny cutters, and cut the comfrey up into pieces about an inch long, weigh out an ounce of it, and make my infusion. Perfect. And um, uh, this past weekend, I discovered this documentary, um, which is I thought was so amazing. It's called um, The Babushkas of Chernobyl. Aren't they fabulous? Oh, my God. That is a. I recommend that to everyone. Those women just loved each other. They love. They're still alive. They love each other, and just the, the the way they set their table with their eggs and their mushrooms and the. Oh, I'm so moved by that. And their decision to stay put. And, yeah, and they're strong and and they're healthy. Yes. It's amazing, and they said the water's contaminated, the mushrooms are contaminated. Uh, it's it's just that movie is just totally empowering, and I, I recommend it to everyone. Thank you for sharing that with us. It is they it, these women are truly have a lot to tell us about living. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So. On that note, green blessings, Susan. Green blessings. Thank you. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 413 area code. Hello. Are you there in the 413? All right. We'll come back to the 413. The next caller is coming from the 504 area code. Hello. Hi. Oh, I can't believe I'm talking to you. How are you, Susan? <laughs> I'm well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. So I have two really brief questions. Um, the first one is I have your book down there, and I absolutely love it. Um, and I've also heard you frequently talk about um, putting, inserting acidophilus vaginally, mm-hmm. um, but I cannot find capsules that are more pure, like what compounds are okay to put in there, um, because I find a lot of them have citrate and five or six other ingredients that I don't want to disrupt my flora. So there's two different things I think that you're asking. One, the capsules themselves are made from gelatin, and they're designed to dissolve at body temperature. So the capsule itself is pretty innocuous and neither here nor there. I think that what you're saying is that you can't find capsules that contain just acidophilus. Correct. They have five or six other... Acidophilus has some kind of preservatives. It has... 
citrate and, and other things? Correct. And you are reluctant to do that. Um, I'm not sure if Dolores LaChapelle, the woman who turned me on to this, had capsules that had just acidophilus in them or not. At that point, I didn't really ask her. I know that it used to be that you could buy capsules of just acidophilus powder and that there wasn't anything else in with them. I, I am looking at my bottle, but unfortunately, my bottle of acidophilus is so old that all of the writing is completely worn off of it. Wait, here's another one. What does this one say? Megadophilus. This one has not even been opened. Megadophilus, most specific, suggested use. Megadophilus. Ingredients, viable culture containing non-fat milk, whey, and lactobacillus acidophilus. So all those things are fine, yes? Okay. Okay, so if it has whey in it, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, my second question, this is brief. Um, so I'm a scientist, and I work with, I have very low exposure to the hepatitis um, B and C, and they keep telling me to go get a vaccine, or they suggest that I get a vaccine, um, which I will not do. Is there anything else that I can do um, just to kind of be that barrier protection, maybe something that I can take on the days when I'm dealing with the virus? In rodent populations that were given the world's most poisonous mushroom, the destroying angel, those who got the Amanita verna and then got milk thistle pretty much died. Those who got the Amanita verna and the milk thistle at the same time, about 20 to 25% of them survived. And those who got the milk thistle and then the Amanita verna, over half of them survived it. Okay. So what you're looking for is hepatoprotective plants and milk thistle seed, which can be used as a tincture, is certainly one of the most prominent of the hepatoprotective plants. It is safe enough to be taken on a daily basis. Okay. You know, the difficulty with... Kidney damage and liver damage is that neither the kidneys nor the liver have nerve endings. So you can get like really far along in kidney damage or liver damage and not really know that anything is happening until it, you know, things start to spill over into associated organs. So that is kind of scary for most people. Um, Mm -hmm. Hepatoprotective plants often are, I think, um, really useful. In David Winston's book, Adaptogens, he has a um, short thing about adaptogens, and he says most adaptogens are hepatoprotective and used regularly protect the liver against damage. 
This, of course, enhances energy, vitality, and well-being. These adaptogens are the most protective against liver damage. Amla, astragalus, cordyceps, hushiwo, holy basil, also known as tulsi, jogulon, lycium, rishi, raponticum, and chisandra. Let's pick out astragalus, rishi, and chisandra, which are three tasty and common herbs. So reishi mushrooms are easy to get hold of. They're often um, sold, and they can be found also in the woods. Reishi can be taken as a tincture. It can also be brewed up. Shisandra is the five-flavor berry. And it's often taken as an infusion, as a tea, or as a tincture. And astragalus is a Chinese adaptogen that has found great favor among American herbalists, partly because it tastes really good, and people are really happy taking astragalus. And Stephen Mm -hmm. Booner has fingered astragalus as having the specific components that the immune system needs to help ward off Lyme disease. Mm. So, nourishing herbal infusions, of course, on a daily basis, and then also using, as you wish, these four hepatoprotective plants, milk thistle seed, schisandra, astragalus, reishi. Okay. For the milk thistle seed, should that be in tincture? Milk thistle seed is often available in tincture, and that's a fine way to take it. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And the astragalus, could that be in tincture? Astragalus, you probably, I buy astragalus both powdered and in the sliced root. The sliced root I make infusion from, weighing out an ounce into a quart jar and filling it to the top of the boiling water capping it and letting it steep overnight. I also throw the sliced astragalus into chicken soup, tomato sauce, things like that. And then I keep the powdered astragalus root in the kitchen, and I mix it into hummus, bean dishes, um, oatmeal, pancake batter, things like that. Okay. So that I'm, uh, I am using it, I because we are outside a lot and are... In area where Lyme disease is high, New York State has more people with Lyme disease than any other state. Um, I do my best to keep astragalus in my diet pretty consistently for mm-hmm. the months I'm outside. Okay. Good question. Thanks for asking. Yes. Thank you so much for all the work that you do and green blessings. Green blessings to you too. Good night. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, I've actually spoken to you before. Um, um, I started taking dandelion um, in my diet to help with digestion, and it's it's been helping. And recently, I don't know why this has been happening, and maybe you can help me express myself. I've been having, like, you know, a lot of gas and feeling um, like the muscles, you know, of the, the anal muscles 
kind of spasming and it's kind of it's been painful and yesterday I had a kind of a day that was the pain was extreme um, and I increased my dandelion yesterday it helped a little bit but not enough and I was wondering if there's anything else I can add to are help you, with that I don't, are you experiencing unanticipated stress in your life right now um, not particularly that I could connect but I do have a few stressors that, um, you know, that are kind of added, so to speak. Like my dad wasn't well for a few weeks and, you know, some, that's been something new. Because the gut tends to be a, a very significant means for our body to let us know that we are experiencing too much stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. So rather than saying, oh, this is something I have to do about my gut, mm-hmm. what I think is let's see if an herb like motherwort or lemon balm mm-hmm. will help you deal with the stress. Okay. Well, I'm going to try that. And um, is there, like, can I, I know mm-hmm. with, with that one, it's, most yeah. of, both of them can be used as tinctures. Lemon okay. balm, of course, makes a wonderful tea. Most people don't like mm-hmm. motherwort tea. It's pretty bitter. Uh-huh. So, I, you know, I give you a couple of choices because I don't know what's most easily available to you. Mm-hmm. Many people who hear me talk about motherwort wind up making motherwort tincture, and so they have it on hand. Um, and equally so, a lot of people grow lemon balm in their garden. Right on hand. I mean, I guess for me it would be the tincture. Of the motherwort. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. And um, does it like I'm saying? Is it um, is it okay to just take like I'd say three dropperfuls a day? Like how should I? How much should I start and increase? What I usually suggest Mm -hmm. is it start with small amounts of motherwort. In other words. Okay. Start with five or ten drops. Okay. And if you get good effect there, then you don't have to go more. And if you don't get good effect there, then then make the next dose bigger. Got it. Until you actually feel like something's happening. Mm -hmm. It's a a mint family plant, so it's pretty hard to overdo it. But also mint Mm -hmm. family plants can be very effective at low doses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, is there... Anything, um, I, I'm not familiar with the lemon balm, just wanting of what the characteristics Lemon balm is another mint. It's often called mm-hmm. Melissa. It's a okay. very, very easy to grow in the garden plant. Mm-hmm. Usually once it gets established, it just sees how much space it can occupy. And it can be picked fresh and used as a tea. Okay. It can also be tinctured. As a matter of fact, I remember one uh, woman telling me that she had a horrible boss. She was so, just so terrified of her boss. And mm-hmm. so she just decided she was going to make a, a lemon balm tincture because her garden had a lot of lemon balm. So she made the lemon balm tincture. And after six weeks, when it was ready, um, she was going to decant it. And the lemon balm said, you know what, I'm not strong enough for you yet. Get some more lemon mm-hmm. balm and pour this tincture over the new lemon balm. So she filled up a jar again with fresh lemon balm and poured the lemon balm tincture over it and waited another six weeks. Mm-hmm. Wow. And 
she was about to decant that when it said, you know what, one more round. You you need one more round. <laughs> Whoa. So she filled a jar with lemon balm, chopped up lemon balm, and she poured the double-strength tincture over it and waited another six weeks. It's 18 weeks now she's been waiting. And she took that and she said, a bomb could have gone off in her office. <laughs> she would have brushed it aside. She was so calm. Wow. That sounds wonderful. Thank you. I'm definitely going to try that. And then I had a question about, I've heard you um, speak in the past about OSHA, like, you know, OSHA, um, mm-hmm. or and I was, yes. Yeah. And I was wondering, is that, um, just for like my knowledge, is that something that is used generally for um, allergies? And um, I remember it was about a snake bite, but is is that in general like an allergy? Uh, Put this in perspective. OSHA mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the root of a perennial plant. Okay. Anytime we're using a perennial plant, we want to stop and say to ourselves, am I using this appropriately? Because if we okay. don't use it appropriately, soon there will be no more of it. Mm-hmm. How do we decide whether or not it's appropriate? Well, plants that grow close to people want to be used, and plants that grow mm-hmm. in abundance want to be used a lot and in great quantity. And plants that grow far away from people don't want to be used so much. And plants, which there aren't many of them, don't want very much of them to be used. So then we can ask ourselves, where does OSHA grow? Okay. OSHA grows only at elevations over 8,000 feet. Doesn't sound like that's close to people, does it? No. This is a plant that grows far away from people, so it is signaling us to not use it often. Okay. When you go to get OSHA, you have to look for it. There is not very much of it. So when we use OSHA, we use only a little bit of OSHA. In fact, what I suggest is that if people want to buy some OSHA, buy a one-ounce bottle of it and get four empty bottles and divide it up mm-hmm. into those four empty bottles, four or five, right, because okay. you have the original one and then four empty ones, mm-hmm. and share it so that each family has a small amount of OSHA tincture to remind you that you're only going to use a drop or two at a time. Okay. I tend to use OSHA in life-threatening or seems like life-threatening circumstances. So Mm -hmm. someone's having an anaphylactic shock reaction. You bet I use OSHA. Yes, indeed. And what a great thing to do. I put on a blouse once. I had been staying in an attic room, and there was a wasp in it. It stung me right under the armpit in that upper breast area. And I didn't think much of it. I don't have an allergic reaction to stings until I couldn't breathe. And I realized, oh, my gosh, this sting has, like, shut down my breathing. And I got out my ocean. I took five drops, and I started breathing again. Wow. Near-death experiences. Now, okay. it's probably not fair to say that it's a near-death experience. And I have a awful <coughs> cold, and I'm supposed to <laughs> talk to 200 people, right? But I will admit I use OSHA in those kinds of circumstances because it relieves all of that coughing and snotting and symptoms. And then I take really good care of myself. Okay, okay thank you. Thank you yeah, for but I wouldn't I, I like use to feel OSHA on a daily basis to deal with allergies. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I 
um, in the past I've had anaphylactic shock and I stopped, you know, breathing. And when I heard you speak about OSHA, I just thought it would be something good to purchase and have handy. But I just wanted more of a relationship. Um, I like how you explained the herbs. It just makes it very real and, I don't know, like user-friendly for the right things. So I just I didn't get a full understanding, and I appreciate that you did that for me tonight. Thank oh, you. thanks for asking. That's wonderful. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 828 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Good evening. I'm so glad to be Hey there. I'm glad to be able to chat with you, and I really appreciate your your time um, this evening. I have uh, two quick questions. Um, uh, one of them is if if you have it's more of I guess a psychological question, and that I'm dealing with some pretty you know massive changes in my life, and um, I'm just getting overwhelmed frequently, and then I feel like I can't really get. Uh, directed, you know, to make the changes that I know I need to do. And I'm just wondering, you know, if you have some advisement on how to sort of, you know, what I can do to help myself when I'm getting into the overwhelmed mode, which seems like it's happening, you know, most all the time. Well, um, let me stop you right there okay. and tell you that that is, is a word that I have thrown out of my vocabulary. Okay. Does it help what do you? you replace it with? Does, it, does that word help you? When you uh, say overwhelmed, no. does it help you? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. No, it does not. Mm-hmm. And the more you say it, the okay. more overwhelmed you will feel. Totally. Mm-hmm. So what I say is, I have a lot to do. Let me make a list. Okay. Let me prioritize that list. What two things on this list am I going to tackle today? Mm-hmm. And then tomorrow I can say, there's still a lot to do. Let me look at yesterday's list. Do I have anything to add to this? What two things from this list am I going to do today? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. There, um, there's no. We can't be overwhelmed. All we need is a place to start. Mhm. And understanding that we can't do it all at once. And, and some. When a lot of and some things in. put off long enough will disappear. <laughs> you will watch them settle to the bottom of your list. And remain on your list for months while you say, not important, not important, not until you finally say, you know what, it just really isn't important. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And and eventually we come to this wonderful, wonderful thing that Justine, my daughter, told me. And it it changed my life. She said, you know, the mind can think of ten times more things than the body can do. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you trying to make your body do ten times more things than it can? Yes, I am. If you want all ten of those things done, you will find at a certain point that you're not satisfied with doing two things off the list, and you're going to have to hire somebody to do two more, two more of them. Mm-hmm. That's how people 
get all of their ideas done. They hire other people. No human being can do as much as their mind wants them to do. Especially when your mind is, you know, really getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> so. Most minds do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, a list of- And again, we use it as an express, uh, express ticket to the shame, blame, guilt train. Well, there's also, you know, I'm needing to change my my income uh, stream, and I'm 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 not sure how it's going to work out, and making a major shift, you know, and I'm I, pretty scared. It mm-hmm. is scary, isn't it? Oh, it is, and it makes me so scared. I don't know if I can really do it. So, I well, know that physical. The things that my it. teachers ask me to ask myself in those circumstances is. What is the worst thing that could happen, and mm-hmm. how would I cope with that? Mm-hmm. So if we have a guaranteed source of income, and we're going to make a leap of faith to some other source of income, mm-hmm. the worst thing that could happen is our leap of faith fails, which hardly ever happens, or that our leap of faith succeeds, but we're unhappy with it. Because sometimes we don't know that we really don't want to do something until we've done it. And then we say, ooh, I don't really like this. Um, And perhaps there's no going back. But you know it's not true in every situation that there's no going back. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and again, it's completely individual and idiosyncratic. But sometimes you can say, I, I really need to make this leap of faith and do this. And if I crash and burn, can I come back here and reapply for a job? Just just to have that answer in your pocket is sometimes just that little extra boost you need. I mean, what is the worst that could happen? You fail. You can't get your job back. You, what? What happens? You have no savings. You lose your home. You live on the street. How far would it go? Right. I don't know, and you certainly don't have to answer here, but just think it through. Okay. And is this thing that you want to do worth that risk? I often tell the story about sending out the manuscript for my green book, Healing Wise, to my peers, all of whom uniformly returned it with something um, of this sort written on it. Do not publish these plants talking. What, are you crazy? No, no. You can't do this. Oh, my gosh. And, well, you know, you send it out to people because you want their comments beforehand. And right. so I said to myself, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen was I'm a laughing stock. People point at me and go, ah, ha, 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 ha. People totally ignore me. And I thought, you know what? This, these parts about the plants speaking, they could easily come out of the book, but it would rip my heart out. And my life would not be worth living if I did that. No matter how put down I am. I'm willing to endure that, to not betray myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and if that isn't exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, people liked the book a lot. <laughs> right. Started a whole thing about plant spirit medicine. Yes. 
you because you never can tell. Mm-hmm. You can always say, this is what I'm prepared. I am prepared for this to absolutely fail and for this to happen to me. And then, then there is no fear, is there? Right. It does. It does help it to evaporate. And are there? I mean, nourishing herbal infusions. I know is a go-to for when you're going through things. So. Well, um, I drink nourishing herbal infusions all the time. If I'm feeling particularly freaked by something, then motherwort is probably what I would reach for. Okay. Since I'm drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every single day. Okay. Mhm. I see. Thank you. Thank you for that wisdom, Susan. You are welcome. Thanks for asking. Can I ask a, a real quickie? I met a really uh, nice man, and we have a nice relationship going. And then he revealed to me that he has herpes. And I was just wondering. Um, I've done a little research about it online, and I'm concerned about you know what I read is that it can be you know transferred even when symptoms aren't in high gear, and I just wondered what you might say about that. I talk about herpes and herbs that you can use to help yourself in down there. It is certainly an issue, and um, if it's someone that you're going to be having an ongoing sexual relationship with, then it's one of those um, risks that you'll have to decide if you can take that risk or if you need to look further for a sexual partner. Mm-hmm. What is your mm-hmm. likelihood of getting it? Pretty good. What is your likelihood of getting over it? Even better. Oh, really? Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something to to have to think through. So. I'm, you know, it's not like herpes is rare out there, right? Well, that's what I understand as I've talked to some of my women friends. Mm-hmm. That's what I've, I'm getting a, a bit of an education on it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that true. Herpes is incredibly common. Genital herpes infects 25% of adults in the USA and Europe with 1 million new cases annually in the United States. Yikes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll read I'll read what you've written and um take it from there. Thank you, Susan. You are welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Oh, green blessings. Good night. Oh, just fifteen minutes before we get to talk to Eagle Song. How many people waiting with questions? We have four people with questions still. All right. I have so not the- been really succinct tonight, but I'll try my best now. Okay. The next caller is coming from the eight one eight area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Wonderful, wonderful to speak with you. I just came across your work in your books about two weeks ago, so um, sound very naive, but oh, that's um, quite okay. Thrilled with that's okay. Um, I've read um, Healing Wise and uh, about everything I just could on your blog, and I have a couple other of your books that are coming to me that I ordered. So um, I wanted to. The main issues I'm trying to uh, look at for myself is um, it took me um, seven years before I got pregnant with my son, who's three, and um, I would love to have another. It's been three years. It's not there. So I was looking at everything you wrote about fertility. I also was looking at anything you had to say about adrenals, which I believe is nettle. And then 
um, the lymph system. I, I had half my thyroid taken out because I thought it was cancerous. It's not. I just have a lot of benign growth. So a naturopath said she feels that it's lymph. So after everything I've read, I think what I need is red clover, nettle, and red raspberry for infusions. And I wasn't sure if I'm... So let, let me go over this with you just a little more thoroughly since you've said that you're okay. somewhat of a novice. The mm-hmm. ideal is to use all five nourishing herbal infusions. Oh, okay. The diagnosis is completely beside the point. Okay. Useless and waste of time. <laughs> okay. Okay? Yeah. So the five nourishing herbal infusions are stinging nettle, which certainly rebuilds the adrenals. Mm-hmm. Also helps to control blood sugar, which increases fertility. Mm-hmm. Red clover, certainly the herb of fertility. And for women who are over 35, hoping to get pregnant, red clover, even twice a week, is not too much. Four times a week would be too much. But two quarts mm-hmm. a week, very reasonable. So you can and insert that into the rotation a little more frequently if you want to. Oat straw. We know about people who are uh, uh, sowing their oats, don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely <laughs> an herb for fertility. Okay. And for fertility, for sexuality, for get up and go. Whoa, oats, yes. <laughs> Linden, one of the world's greatest anti-inflammatories. We know that just about every problem from arthritis to cancer has as a real cause inflammation. Might we think that perhaps infertility or difficulty conceiving has as a cause inflammation too? Mm-hmm. And so linden is an important herb. And then come free the comforting. Mm-hmm. Again, an herb that is so beloved by women who want to get pregnant, who are pregnant, who have given birth, who are breastfeeding, because comfrey, comfrey makes the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, and the skin more flexible and stronger. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and so it would be all about a, a quart. Of the, all of the nourishing herbal infusions have something to give to you. Red raspberry is not an herb that increases fertility. Red raspberry has constituents that increase uterine tone. And for that reason, it is often used as a tea during pregnancy. Most people can't get raspberry infusion down. It is far too astringent. Mm. Okay. So... If you already have the red raspberry, just hold on to it until you're pregnant. And then you can drink red raspberry as you like during the pregnancy. Just brew it up as a nice tea. It can be a breakfast tea. That's a tea. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't ordered them just yet. I was going to order them after I spoke with you. And if you live anywhere that you can harvest raspberry, you can harvest your own raspberry. I find it much nicer from the home harvested. Mm -hmm. Partly because I keep the stalks in it, and so it's not the stalks are not as astringent as the leaves. I see. I see. So I promised that I would be succinct. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go on to the next caller if that works for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. 
The next caller is coming from the 207 area code. Hey, howdy. Hi. Hello. Um, I, I drink nettles every day. I, it's made my life more wonderful. I am concerned about the oxalates. Um, I think I might need to be going on a low oxalate diet. Do I need to give up my nettle infusion? Who says there are oxalates in nettle? I don't know. I'm asking you. Are there? Oh, I thought you said you were concerned about the oxalates in nettle. I've oh, never known no, there to be I, oxalates I don't, in nettle. I don't know if there's any. any I, I'm hoping you're going to say there's none. Keep going. I, I, what would make your diet a low oxalate diet? What are you being told you need to remove from your diet? I am nobody's telling me anything. I'm trying to make sense of why I'm having strange bladder symptoms and my PCP is um is wondering if it's um what's it called? painful bladder syndrome, which I hope to heck it is not. Um and so I'm trying to think if I cut out my oxalates, perhaps that'll make the situation better. From what I've been reading, oxalates and interstitial cystitis do not get along. So when you're reading about that, what are they saying contains oxalates? Well, spinach is, is, has a zillion oxalates. Um, chard has a lot. All the dark leafy greens are No, not loaded. all the dark leafy greens. Wrong. Kale is, does, is not loaded with them. Correct. Um, so where's Only the things spinach? that are not in the cabbage family. So kale, collards, mustard greens have no oxalates at all. It's things in the spinach family, lamb's right. quarter, amaranth, chard, beet greens. Right. Those are the things that, right, avoid these things for bladder problems. Avoid spicy foods. No pepper in your food. Are you doing nope. that already? No. Oh, yeah. And I haven't had spinach for years. I, I have never been able no to tolerate No spicy it. foods. No ascorbic acid. No vitamin C. Not even as a preservative in foods. So Nick's the multivitamin? Absolutely. My gosh, All you right. want to be or not. A Got multivitamin it. is the worst possible choice for health. Good. Thank you. Get rid of it. Wrap it up. Give it to somebody you don't like. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll send it to the man who's, who's uh, currently called the president. But um, anyway, there you so, go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Aware um, that most fruit acids irritate the bladder. Yes. So berries, okay. I've been I've been having berries. I've been having apples. Seem to be okay. Um, and I just hope it's not interstitial cystitis. I'm so mm -hmm. healthy. I don't know why this would be happening to me. Mm -hmm. Have um, you been using corn silk infusion? No. Corn silk no. is a tremendous bladder soother. We served corn silk at the Green Goddess Week, and they liked it so much they asked for it the next day again. We do. You know, we're here together for seven days. So we have the five main infusions, and then on the sixth and seventh day, on the sixth day we make, you know, a half gallon of, of this and a half gallon of that and a half gallon of the other thing. So we have a lot of different choices. And then on the last day they can choose any of their favorites to have. And awesome. corn silk is a fabulous bladder soother. And, you and could, I would just, so I just find corn silk, which is everywhere today. Which is and, everywhere. Yep. And... Put a whole ounce of the fresh corn silk or even a couple of ounces of fresh corn silk into a jar with boiling water. I, of course, dry it. It makes a better infusion once it's been dried. Oh, okay. 
All right. And you can probably buy it dried. Ah, excellent. But that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that makes my life easier. All right, right. so I don't need to give up so nettles. Also, in terms of bladder irritants, remember that um, artificial sweeteners. Oh, yuck. No, no. Spices like ginger. And for certain sensitive people, chocolate. Yeah, yep, that's been nixed. I'm, I'm pretty much eating oatmeal and berries and uh, bone broth and... And nourishing uh, herbal infusions. And, and your nettle and yeah, yeah. infusion is just fine. I, I, I am not finding any source that says that it contains oxalate. Great, excellent. Okay, um, All right. thank you. I know I, you've I got you two other finished, colors. Thank you so much. Greens, chard, lamb's quarter, and amaranth. And you know what? Once you heat, the, the oxalates are gone. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. And I have one little oxalate chart, and it says um, cooked spinach has, I think, has more oxalates than raw. Am I right? So far it's as dark. I understand it, cooking oxalates destroys them. Mm. Well, if I were Maybe oxalate, the spinach isn't cooked. really cooked. Maybe they're doing that warm raw thing. Yeah. Who knows? What I, anyway. when, I'm, when I say cooked, I mean like cooked for an hour. Oh, all right. So steamed would not count as being cooked. Does not count as cooked. Correct. Mm-hmm. No nutrition in steamed. Mm. Mm. Pointless to even steam. You, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your wisdom. It's, it's wow. I just bow in honor from my heart to yours. Uh, me too. I have a really good feeling about that corn silk in your bladder. Go for it. Thank you. Thank All you. Right, Thank you. Good night. Okay. Bye. Dare I even bring up? Not too bad. I was just thinking um, of the oxalates and grains as well, like in and properly preparing them. But we can move on to the next caller and can look that up if you're interested. The I next caller is coming from not oxalates. What's that? It's phytates and grains, not oxalate. Phytates. Okay. No. Okay. I thought oxalates too, but. All right. The next call is coming up. from the 413 area code. Okay. Hello? Hi. What's up? Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. I'm calling because for the last couple months, my right ear sticks shut when I wake up in the morning if I'm sleeping on my right side. I think I have a lot of wax in there. That softens when I'm sleeping, and then it just, like, makes my tragus, like, my little ear flap stay shut. And I'm wondering what you recommend I do. What most herbalists suggest for earwax is warm oil. Okay. Poured into the ear and allowed to settle there a little bit until it cools off and then poured out into a sink or a cloth or something like that, and that done repeatedly. A study of ear candles found that there was more wax in the ear after the burning of an ear candle than before. So that is not a technique that I favor or have ever found useful. Mm -hmm. I know that I have several students who have told me that their ear canal is not straight and they need to go to an ear specialist who can remove the wax from their ear because it's not possible for it to easily come out on its own. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, yes, I will try the um, I will try warm oil. Yeah. And I would love to ask you one more thing. Um, what do you know about tonsil stones? Because about I have them. Tonsil stones. Tons, tonsil stones. I basically have these crypts or these like little dugout areas in my tonsils, and then I get these really smelly, um, off-white chunks of stuff that come out of them, and there's very little information out there on them, but what it's believed is that it's like calcified material, like food gets trapped in there, and then our body secretes stuff to um, just deal with the food, and then they get stuck in there unless I go in there with my finger and sweep them out, and um, if I don't regularly do that mm-hmm. I just have really bad breath and they're just putrid yeah wow golly gee mm-hmm. do you like avoid drinking during meals mm, I only drink during meals if I'm thirsty but generally I'm not I think you need to drink during your meals okay I think you need to Really make sure that all of your food is well washed down. Okay. So that it doesn't have that opportunity to get stuck there, right? All right. There's certainly no reason why we should avoid drinking while we eat. And when people say to me, well, I don't think we should drink while we eat, I say, oh, does that mean you shouldn't have soup with your meal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a matter of fact, many meals begin with soup, don't they? Yeah. I love soup. So keep washing it down and see if that helps. Okay. All right? Green All right. Light. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me see if I can get you the last caller before Eagle Flung. Good night. Oh, probably not. There's, what, 10 seconds? Yeah, it's a... Uh, we'll okay. have to ask Sorry, the last caller. Call, call next week. Eagle Song, Evans Gardener, is a gardener and an herbalist, a grandmother and an earthkeeper, and a pilgrim adventurer. She lives in the Pacific Northwest corner of North America. Eagle Song is a woman with a passion for culture, which she notices grows from the connections between people, plants, and earth. Eagle Song founded Ravencroft Garden in Monroe, Washington, where she tends the heart and soul of the hearth of Ravencroft. She is the director of the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference, which is a gathering for women who are interested in tending life the wise woman way. And uh, this year, um, she was uh, talking about possibly calling it a, a confluagua, and we'll talk about what a confluagua is. Her daily practices of natural health, simple living, and herbal medicine anchors her herbal apprenticeships for those interested in the rigorous journey of being fully human. Right now, Eagle Song finds satisfaction cooking up mischief in the hedges for those eager to cultivate an ever-deepening understanding of the journey called life. Welcome to the show, Eagle Song. Hi, Susan. I'm glad to be here. I love you so. What a delight to get to uh, talk to you in this Format. Wow, 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 wow. You know, I was thinking back to when I first met you. And you had two young sons when I first met you. Yeah, they were little. <laughs> they were little boys. Yeah. 
Yes, they were. As a matter of fact, they they were about the age of their children. That's right. That is right. Now thought, what a wonderful span of life that we have just seen each other through all the ins and outs and ups and downs and my goodnesses. And yes. I was trying to remember when you moved to Ravencroft, your parents were still living there when you moved there, right? We all moved together, and it was in, uh, gosh, 1992. And In yep. 19- 1992, so you've been there for over 25 years now. Yes, we've been here almost 26 years. Wow, um, wow, wow. As I recall, when you moved there, it was kind of a, a typical, um, well, it, I wouldn't, it wasn't like, you know, really suburban. It wasn't like a neighborhood house, 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 lawn, 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 but, but kind of like that. It was house and lawn. There was a hedge, so it was a little privacy. Um, right, but then I recall that you um, dumped a dump trunk load of compost in the middle of that lawn. Well, that was polite. We dumped twenty yards of cow manure right in the center of the lawn. We did. What happened next? Actually, my dad thought I had lost my mind, and I left and went to New York. And you left twenty yards of cow manure in the middle of his lawn? Yes. Mm-hmm. When I got back, it was covered with dandelions. I started harvesting. We started selling tincture, and my dad said, maybe I wasn't so crazy after all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been 26 years. My parents have uh, come and gone. And yes. So that's, um, you know, it is. It's just a journey and a process. And, and being in one place for this long has really helped me to appreciate the process. Uh, you know, I was thinking that similar thought the other day. I was walking out with the goats, and I thought, wow, I've been on this piece of land so long that despite its hardships and its difficulties, I can't imagine being on any other piece of land. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, when you find the place and the place finds you, it's uh, it's a pretty glorious feeling. So, you are a student of nature. You often told me a, a little thing that your mom told you that I repeat, which is the best advice your mom ever gave you was go outside and play. Yes, that's right. Yep, she had four kids. My oldest brother had polio, and so she was per- pretty busy most of the time. And that was the she would turn around and say to me, "Go outside and play." And go I have taken it to heart. And you took it to heart. So when you go outside and play, you observe nature, and you see that nature has catastrophic events. Yes. In fact, I lived very close to Mount St. Helens when she blew. And watching Mount St. Helens, I don't know, recover is not the right word. It's just the process. And so watching the plants come in and see how they actually adapt. You know, watching that mountain restore the the plant life around herself helped me really understand the healing or not the nourishing herbal infusions because the infusions are the same plants that nature uses to restore and reestablish the earth when there's been any kind of a cataclysm. So using those herbs on a regular basis, a daily basis really does restore the body the same way that the earth restores herself whenever that kind of a catastrophic event happens. 
That really goes deep. I really hear you with my heart. But Mount St. Helens blew her top, knocked down, knocked down hundreds of thousands of trees. Mm-hmm. Blew blew off part of her mountaintop, right? Yeah, a good third of it. Yeah, and the Earth is still rolling on. Earth still rolls on. And the and plants, or the plants, say, "Oh, more sunlight. Let's grow there." Yeah, but they have to start over because now we have a completely um, erased uh, life. Like the the heat and everything from the explosion destroyed all the life. So watching that life come back from the blue green algae all the way back to trees, and seeing mm-hmm. how steady and stayed the the um, succession is that it really is a, a beautiful way to come to a deeper understanding of what does it mean healing and what does this idea of allowing nature to show us the way. Mm-hmm. A caller this evening said that she had seen a movie on the babushkas of Chernobyl, the women who stayed at Chernobyl. I love that movie. And I think that goes right along with what you're saying, that nature has so much more capacity to heal after catastrophe than we give her credit for. Right. And catastrophe is part of life. And, And those old grandmothers really know that. And they've also watched life restore itself or herself, you know, for a lot of years. So they had great faith. Actually, they didn't have to have faith. They had trust. That if they stayed, and it's like you at your place, where else would you go? For them, that was home. And they would rather be there than anywhere else. So whatever came of it was going to be what came of it. And they just carry on their life. And they still are. That's the amazing thing. In 1995, you started the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. And as I recall that ran until about the year 2000, and then it took a little respite. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, we had a 20-year respite. 20-year respite, and now you have started up the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference again, and this is the fourth year? Yes, we're coming into our fourth um, year, and we are actually returning to where we started the conference in the 1990s. We're going back to the same camp. So we'll be back at the Salish Sea. It feels like salmon coming home. Oh, yes. Yep. So, yeah, we're very excited about this year's um, event and delighted that you're going to be there with us. Me too, me too. You know, I was thinking about what have we gained and what have we lost and, you know, the big social work that we've been involved in. And there's hardly any places anymore where I can do a woman-only event. But but and it's a, it, it, you know and part of me goes ah too bad but then at the same time there's all of these women that are running women's herbal conferences. I know it's great. And there's just yeah, had the so much room for women's herbal conferences and for us to be in that sacred space, that sacred yeah. double X space. Yeah, the double X space. So Definitely. important for women. 
So, and it's so fascinating. So at the same time that I feel a little ah, uh, I I also feel ha ha. You know, uh. we lost Michigan Women's Music Festival, darn, but we have the right. Southeast Women's Herbal Conference. Wow. Mhm. You know, we lost you know women only events at you know this place or that place, but we have the Pacific Northwest Women's Herbal Conference, and we have the Women's Herbal Conference in the Midwest, and we have also all over the place quieter groups of women meeting, both for yep. red and for herbal gatherings, smaller groups, but they are yep. meeting thousands of them all over. Yep. Yeah, and that's exciting. That is really exciting because when women come together, something happens that I can't really describe, but I can feel it. And that's how women tell me when they've come for the first time they've ever been in an all-women's event. And they say, wow, it feels so different here than anything I've ever felt before, but I can't really put it into words. You've been teaching at quite a few conferences over the past few years. Could you just kind of pull out of your bag of memories, memories from those conferences or perhaps ways in which the Pacific Northwest Women's Herbal Conference is the same or different or changes that you've been seeing happening? Yeah. um, One of the things that I see at every women's conference is there is just an amazing um, environment of curiosity. Women really like to learn, and and they really love to... um, learn things that allow them to take better care of themselves and their families because we really care about ourselves and our families. And, and when we do that, it, we also taking care, better care of our communities. So I see that. And the other thing I see at women's conferences, which always is uh, um, something I really enjoy, is that they're intergenerational. This year, our youngest teacher is eight and our oldest teacher is 72. So having women of all that ages... spiral of women of all ages, I think, is so important to us. Yes. And women from many walks of life. They're not just people who are interested in being herbalists or herbs. They're women who come from all different directions and a lot of different cultures. And so we have a lot of fun together sharing who we are at a, at a really deep level and things that are of concern for us and things that are really joyous for us. So um, so the intergenerational aspect is pretty common in all the women's herb gatherings that I've been teaching at. And each conference has its own unique nature, shaped by the place, the women participating, and the interest in nature and plant medicine of the people coming together. So I've come yes, to... Yes, and I don't want to leave out that Astrid and Leela are doing a great um, job with their red earth, earth gathering in Colorado as well. Yeah, right. And so and 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 now what's happening is the women doing these conferences start communicating with each other and and so there's this web, a mycelial like web that's forming across the whole country of women doing gatherings, bringing people to, bringing women together. And um yeah, so culture is is created when people and place or people, plants, and the planet come together, and all of them have a voice. Mm. Mm. So, 
you have outgrown the word conference, I think you've said. Well, yes. I would and, and you and I were tossing around possibly what, what a better word would be confluence. Yes, and then you found another word. Tell us about that other word you found. Oh, totally by accident and, and through a lot of um, laughing at oneself. So the conference has an idea, you know, it, it brings an idea into people's mind. And then it never quite satisfies. Confluence was a really, uh, we like that idea because it's like things coming together and joining and getting stronger. So the confluence, I live at the confluence of three rivers, and I like that idea a lot. But then I wanted something that was even more outside the box than that, and I really like the um, Chautauqua of the early 20s, a place where people came together to learn and, and be entertained at the same time. So all these herb conferences, these women's conferences, have a lot of entertainment as well as a lot of learning. So the word confluaqua came. <laughs> we put all those together, which is such like women would do, the braided river. So conf- we may actually begin using that term next year. I'm not sure. We'll have to have a conversation <laughs> about that. <laughs> I like it, confluaqua. I had heard the word Chautauqua before, but I had uh-huh. never had a context for it or even knew what it meant. Hmm? Yeah. It means yeah, a gathering where we come to enjoy ourselves and learn. And be entertained, yeah. And be entertained. How fantastic is that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's so, so you- easy to learn when you're in an environment that is, relaxed and and there's entertainment and there's lots of forest all these conferences also happen in camps that are outside cities so they they actually bring nature we come to nature we don't ask nature to come to us at some hotel downtown Um, we actually take ourselves to nature in the women's herb conferences gatherings confluences and it's a lot of fun i often tell people that One of my first experiences of teaching herbal medicine was in a classroom at night, and I had gotten slides of common weeds from Cornell University, and I had not looked at them beforehand. And when I put the first slide up, it was a picture of dandelion in a white plastic pot. Oh, good. (laughs) Followed by yellow duck in a white plastic pot and burdock in a white plastic pot. And it was at that point that I realized what a terrible mistake I was making. (laughs) Was not going to convey your intent. I have a feeling. No, no, that people you know, people might learn, you know, about those plants, but they sure wouldn't recognize them out in nature. No, that's right. There are not many white plastic pots out there in nature. There are not. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But know, there's the, a lot of big trees. The other thing that I've come to appreciate, especially over the past couple of years, is it's not really necessary to know everything about everything to have something be affected. So to give you an example of this, you know, for the past few years, I've really been like, you know, working on adaptogens and talking about adaptogens and doing, and just kind of from the corner of his ear, while I was talking about cotinopsis, Michael heard me say, it helps relieve angina pain. And he Uh started taking cotinopsis, and he almost does not take um, any uh, nitro at all anymore. Oh, that's great. 
And it was just that one little bit that he heard. And I think, you know what, Susan? It's true. You really don't have to know how an internal combustion engine works to drive a car. That's right. That is so right. <laughs> so, but I, you know that when you drive the car, you turn the key on and you push the pedal, certain things happen. Hopefully you know that. <laughs> well, yes. So it's that way Hopefully you know. You know, gone are the happen. days when I sat in the engine compartment of my Scout and replaced the, the uh, head gasket, you know. <clears throat> yeah, right. Nowadays, even mechanics don't do that. They just hook it up to the computer. I know. Things have definitely well, that's how they do changed too. under the hood there. Are things changing at herbal conferences? One of the things I like to say to people is, what you learn about herbs now will be good for the next 5,000 years. Yes. Some things don't change. But one of the things that's changing is our acceptance that the scope of possibility with plants is way beyond our at first perceived ideas. I think that's the thing I've seen the most at all the herb conferences is just that people are really starting to understand how broad herbs, um, the activity of herbs in people is. And, and it's the same, like we're not so concerned anymore about having just the right species of Crataegus. When there's 2,718 species to choose from, and you find out that wherever that tree grows, people use the, the plant in some way or another, we start to understand that this mystery of nature is so broad and so possible, and the body already knows how to access that information from the plants better than people can isolate it and then give you this and that part of the plant. That wholeness is really starting to become the main um, thrust of what we understand about plants, at least for many of us. And I think that the breadth of possibility with plant medicine is really starting to to take root. I so agree with you. I think about Stephen Booner in his book Herbal Antibiotics or Herbal Antivirals, sorry. Herbal Antivirals challenging American herbalists to start using skullcap root, which Chinese herbalists use as one of their primary antivirals. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we don't ever think of using skullcap root. No, but it's certainly worth trying. But it's certainly yeah. worth trying. Or on the other side of it, um, I was doing a show for HealthyLife.net focused on Linden. So I was looking up just a few people that I hadn't read on Linden before, David Winston being one of them, who claims that American basswood is useless as a medicine. Hmm. That one now, that grows outside by your porch? Well, you know, I don't know that that is Tilia Americana. Okay. It could be a hybrid. Certainly yes. there's plenty of Tilia Americana here in the native forests of the Northeast. I will admit to never having harvested a single blossom from them because they tend to bloom at the top and they can be over 100 feet tall. Right. So I'm not climbing up there for the flowers. I have basically harvested from the hybrids that are grown everywhere. Okay. I don't know what those hybrids are based on. Are they based on Tilia Europa? Are they based on Tilia Cordata? Are they based on Tilia Americana? But I was astonished to hear him claim that Atilia wasn't medicinal. Hmm. I can't imagine what would be different that would make it non-medicinal. 
Surely it still has polyphenols and minerals and vitamins. Surely yep. it still has mucilage. And those right. are the things I'm going for in Lind. Yeah. Well, I was at a, con- a confluence actually last May, and there were probably four to five different Lindens on the grounds of the university where we were having the event. And as well, at least that many Crataegus. Was I ever in seventh heaven? Yes, indeed. Woohoo! To see, right, in one place to see the, the sheer possibility of, of um, the different plants that you could actually try out. Well, it gives me a whole other idea about how to have a class there. <laughs> because really, the best way to find out if it works is to try it. Exactly. And with Lyndon, you're not going to hurt yourself. So Not going to hurt yourself. Right. The same way we kind of gradually eased into the using the Stellaria pubera that grows so profusely around me. Uh-huh. I love Stellaria media, but let's face it, she is a shy girl. She doesn't like it when it's too hot. She doesn't like it when it's too cold. She doesn't like it when it's too dry. She doesn't like it when it's too wet. Oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> and Gloria Pubera has none of these foibles. All right. Right. She'll keep on growing right through the dry days. Let it rain till she's standing in water. She shrugs that off. Let the sun beat on her. Yeah, okay, she fades a little bit. They, none, of, none of the Stellarias really like full sunlight. But. Right. But, you know, it took us just a few years to say, you know, this, and we call it giant chickweed because it's like five times the size of the Stellaria media. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And is it as um, succulent or is it a little drier? It's more succulent. Oh, wow. It is much Great. more succulent. Great. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting closer to the plants. And that's what I see about the conferences, too. Women are really getting um, really into the plants they're really educating themselves by using them by really um, engaging the energy of the plants in their practices and so now we're having these amazing conferences and collections and gatherings of who have really expanded when we first started with herbs well i started about 40 years ago i can't believe how number one how much the herbs have improved that we can buy Number two, the breadth of the information that we have on a lot of different levels and and how all that happened really from people's passion, you know, that people really were interested in plants and we set ourselves to it. And for some reason, we were all like threads and began weaving this amazing tapestry. When you look at it now, no university funding, none of that, just people's passion about what these plants were and how we could relate with each other. It, it's a mind-blowing thing. So the, the conferences, I see them getting smaller, closer to home, people um, really broadening their scope of understanding and more in-depth with the plants. And then there's those who have their specialties. So, so I, I think it's just getting better and better. Better and better. If women are interested in coming to the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference, I would like you to tell them how to find that. And I think it's PacificWiseWomen.com. Is that right? No, PacificWomen'sHerbalConference.com. 
PacificWomensHerbalConference.com with without apostrophe. No apostrophe. No apostrophe, all lowercase, PacificWomensHerbalConference.com. I think there's still a few spaces. And Eagle Song asked me last year if I would consider doing a green goddess apprenticeship on her side of the continent. And I really <laughs> had to think about that because I don't do the Green Goddess Week on my own. As a matter of fact, much of my teaching is done with co-teachers, especially when I'm working with apprentices. For everybody's well-being, I always work with co-teachers. And for the Green Goddess Week, I have two co-teachers, White Feather and Yvette Lewis. And um, so Eagle Song and I worked it out that Yvette would come out. Yvette works with the um, with the Green Goddess apprentices to build their power sh- shields and to paint their power shields. And she will be coming out with me. We, there are still a few spaces in our uh, small, and that's the way we want it, Green Goddess uh, Apprentice group. I will be there. We will be working hard together. Yvette will be there. You'll be crafting your power shield. We'll be doing a variety of things, including green allies, plant families, uh, goddess archetypes, um, well, I think that we'll be doing a blog talk show while I'm there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. Yes, we'll be doing a blog yeah. talk show while I'm there. So be sure you get those um, things out to me, Rebecca, so that I can print them before I go, please. And I think we're going to have a moon lodge, too. Is that right? That's right. We'll have a moon lodge hey. on the full moon night. Uh, moon lodge. We might have an overnight heartbeat drum. Um, lots of wonderful things. So, again, tell women how they can get in touch with you. At... Uh, PacificWomensHerbalConference.com And there they will find out everything about the Green Goddess Apprentice Week, about the conference as a whole. The Green Goddess Apprentice Week is right before the conference. That's right. So it's like one event moving into another. Is there a day break in between? There's a day and a half break in between. And for women who come from afar, we actually will put them up for that day and a half in between and they can enjoy the camp and be fed and um, then go right into the conference. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Here we come to the last minute. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's listening, Eagle Song? To go outside and play. <laughs> the I advice always... of your mother. Exactly. Mothers exactly. know that. Exactly. Uh, go but anyway, outside. Get outside every chance you can. <laughs> I remember Daphne, the very first apprentice, saying, I told her that some of the apprentices were complaining about having to be outside all day long with the guests. She said, are you kidding me? You actually pay us to spend the day outside? Do they know how rare that is in today's world? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so do go outside and play, or just go outside and sit sit still. That works, too. Because green blessings are everywhere. Eagle Song, thank you for helping us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Your work there in the Pacific Northwest for all of these years, so powerful, so important to everyone around you. And you too, Rebecca, thank you for all that you are doing in helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And a big shout out to Justine. She told me yesterday, just put up a new course at teachable.com. Learn herbal medicine fun and easy way. Week by week, (laughs) a half an hour a week. You subscribe by the month for the whole year, teachable.com. Lots of good things going on. Green blessings are everywhere. Good night, everybody.
Good Love night, you, Susan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.